0: CHAPTER THIRTEEN, Livy. I distract Gran by asking for a snack while Bob slips out the back door. We're supposed to meet under the farthest tree in the yard, near our Sylvester's Rock. I find him relaxing against the tree trunk with his eyes closed and his legs straight out in front of him. You look happy, I tell him. I hand him half a slice of banana bread and kneel beside the rock to get to work, feeling around its edges. It is a big rock. How are you going to get under this thing? And how could I have hidden something under it when I was five? I am happy, Bob says cheerfully. We're together, aren't we? We're outside and we're looking for clues. We're going to find my mother, like you said, my large family. So I won't be lonely when you leave again. She smiles into the su- He smiles into the sun. Plus, I have banana bread, and it's like banana with bread. I glance at him as I try to scrape the dirt out from under one side of the rock. It gets under my nails and up my nose. Don't get your hopes up, okay, Bob? He blinks at me. Why not? Old Livy never told me to not to give up my hopes. I'm just being careful of your feelings, okay? We don't know for sure that we'll find anything. Oh, we will, Bob says. We will find whatever the old Livy hid under the Sylvester rock. For me, her invisible friend. Bob is 100% sure that he that the old Livy hid the invisible friend time capsule under the Sylvester rock. He says that for the last two days he was at Grand's. She was at Grand's. Old Livy got a certain look on her face whenever we got near this rock. That's how you know, I ask him, my expression five years ago? Bob nods, oh yes, whenever we came close to this rock, old Livvy's face said, I've got a secret. It was loud and clear. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's worth a try. We have to start looking somewhere, and I have to admit that Bob is pretty good at reading faces, especially mine. So I'm scratching the hard-packed dirt away from the sides of the rock, trying to find any gaps where I might have hidden something. Now I'm pretty much coated in dirt and dust. I sneeze. I look over at Bob. His eyes are closed. Hey, why are you just sitting there? I'm not just sitting here. I'm feeling the sun on my face. And I'm also being careful of you. I sit back on my heels and try to slap some of the dirt off of my hands. "'It makes a big dust cloud that makes me sneeze again. "'Careful of me. What are you talking about?' "'He gets a patient look on his face. "'I'm pretty good at reading Bob's face, too, I realize. "'I am being careful of your fingers, Libby. "'You are playing very near the rock, "'and I don't want to drop it on you when I pick it up.' "'He smiles and closes his eyes again. "'Just tell me when you are done playing in the dirt. "'I'm in not in a hurry.' I'm just enjoying the outdoors. I stand up. Bob, I'm not playing. I'm working. And we can't pick up this rock. This rock is huge. First, we're going to dig out some of the dirt underneath it. And then we'll both get on one side and we'll try to tilt. I stop talking. Bob has picked up the rock and is holding it over his head. Where should I put it? He asks. If you're done playing. Speechless, I point to the tree he was leaning against, and he carefully props the rock against the tree trunk. "'Bob,' I say, "'you're strong,' he nods. "'Yes.' "'How did you look?' "'Because there is something lying in a little dug-out place in the dirt, almost exactly where I had just been digging. There must have been a little hollow spot under one edge of the rock, but five years later it was packed hard with dirt.' You are right, Bob. I brush the dirt off the top of whatever it is and pick it up. It is a glass jar sealed with a metal leg. Bob doesn't even look surprised. He just gently puts the Sylvester rock back into its place as casually as, a Superman, as Superman would. I try the lid, but it won't turn. Bob takes the jar from me, but says, Let's open it at Grand's, after you wash your hands. This is old Libby's treasure, and I don't want to get it dirty. Bob does his best chicken walk all the way back to the house. doesn't seem to matter that chickens can't really hold things. Chapter 14 Bob Gran is on the phone in the den and we slip right past her and up the stairs. Her voice is crackly and high-pitched, which means she's talking to the bank again. After I supervise her hand-washing, Livvy gets to work, twisting off the lid. She grunts. She groans. I keep I try to keep still, but it is not easy. Finally, she lowers her arms. This is on good. I must have been strong when I was five. You are different strong, I tell her, holding out my palm. She places the jar in my hand and I only have to twist the tiniest bit and the lid pops off. I'm sure you loosened it up, I tell her, handing it back. "Uh Uh-huh. She peeks in, then turns it over. It takes a few forceful shakes before three things fall out onto the bed. Two pieces of black licorice and a rolled-up photograph of old Livy sitting on the floor in front of the bookshelf in this very room, reading a book upside down. The book is upside down, that is, Livy herself is right-side up. And that's it. I look at her, and she looks at me. I'd have thought a time capsule would contain more stuff, I say, grabbing a piece of the licorice. You're not really going to eat that, right? It's five years old. I pop it into my mouth. Stale licorice is better than no licorice any day. Livy's hand darts out and grabs the second piece before I can get it. "Let's make sure you survive the first one," she says, sticking it in her pocket. She picks up the photograph. "Why would I have put this one picture in there?" she wonders out loud. "I'm kind of I'm kind of insulted there's nothing about me in the jar." Would it had been so hard to put in a feather from my chicken suit. She picks up the photo, then flips it over. Hey, Bob, look! Something's glued onto the back. She peels it off and holds it up with a grin. It's a feather from your chicken suit! I smile sheepishly, ashamed of myself. Of course Livy wouldn't have left me out. I take the feather and stick it onto one of my many bare spots on my belly. It is much, It is in much better condition than all the rest. The picture is pretty, pretty cute. I tell her, looking closer. Old Livy is obviously pretending to read the oversized book. It looks like a cool book with lots of colorful pictures on both covers. I twist my head until I can read the title: Fairy Tales and Folk Tales from A to Z. It's like my dictionary, A to Z. I don't think I know any fairy tales or folk tales, but Livy does, or at least her mother does. Libby studies the picture, too, and suddenly she grabs my arm. Bob, who does that look like on the cover? She stabs her finger at the picture. What do you mean? I turn it so the book cover is facing the right way and try to identify the object on the cover. Is that a mermaid? Yes, she says impatiently. It is a mermaid on a rock, a three-headed lion, a lumberjack, a fairy, and you. Me? I grab the photo back. The only drawing on the cover I don't recognize as one of those other things is some sort of short green creature with one eyebrow. Okay, I see why she thinks I bear a slight resemblance to this creature in the drawing, but no. I shake my head. I think you just insulted the character. I think you just insulted the character in the book. He's much more handsome than me. Bob. Bob. She says, you look exactly like this guy. She pushes me out the door of the bedroom and into the bathroom and makes me face the mirror. I take a step back. I've never really looked at myself before. I turn this way and that, admiring my reflection from all angles. I'm not half bad. I keep preening because it's making her laugh. Then she stops. Seriously, though. This book must tell us who you are. It's been here all along. Come on. She races back to her room, and I hurry after. The phone rings, and I can hear Gran answer it downstairs. Maybe it's the bank calling back. It's got to be here somewhere, Livy is saying, pulling books off the shelf with both hands. It's not on the shelves. Maybe it's under the bed, she says. She throws back the covers and ducks down and spreads her arms like she is swimming. It's not under the bed. Where else could it be, she asks, throwing up her hands. I think about it, and it hits me that I know exactly where it is. Livvy, the book is at. But before I can tell her that Sarah took it after Livvy went back home last time, Grand shouts upstairs, Livvy, please come down right away. I need you. She sounds more urgent than I've ever heard her. Even more worked up than the first time a woman from the bank came all the way out to the house. Livvy looks torn, but only for a second. She says, I'll be right back. Keep looking. I open my mouth, but she's already flying down the stairs. I sit on the bed and wait. That's where I am when the front door slams and Grand's car drives away with Livy in it. Well, that stinks. I move to the top of the stairs and listen to all the silence, my chest tight and my head swimming. This is a familiar feeling. I call it the feeling of Livy leaving suddenly without telling me when or if she's coming back. I know this feeling well. I stand up from the stairs. Livy's not gone for good. I know that this time, no more feeling sorry for myself and waiting. I have a book with a strikingly handsome green creature on the cover to find, and there's no time to waste. I straighten my headcoat and use the tape on the desk in the corner of the kitchen to secure a few feathers that are hanging loose. I grab two pickles and a loaf of bread. Each eat one pickle and two slices of bread with butter, and then I continue. My rushing out. I am a not-zombie fake chicken on a mission.